Welcome to the radio broadcast of Pineview Baptist Church, a growing community of faith in the Belfast community of Goldsboro. We are located at 3357 U.S. Highway 117 North in Goldsboro. We invite you to find out more about our congregation by visiting us at facebook.com forward slash Pineview Baptist Goldsboro. Join us now for our weekly message. Look around, brothers and sisters, at the landscape of evangelicalism, and here's what you will find, a barren wasteland. Even in many of our own churches that are a part of our convention, you will find a barren wasteland. You might find places with lots of of rear ends in the seats, but very little in doctrine, very little in devotion. I wanted to be sure I was using that that terminology properly. So I went to the dictionary and I looked up the word barren. Here's what it means. A barren landscape is dry and bare and has very few plants and no trees. What does that suggest to you? A place that is dried up, that is devoid of deep doctrinal teaching. If there's no water running through that that land, then roots cannot take growth. They can't grow deep. And so the land just becomes a dust bowl. No depth, no doctrine. And why is it that way? Why have we reached a period in church history and evangelicalism where we find places like that? Because of weak, watered down, and even outright unbiblical teaching. Every two years, Ligonier Ministry does a survey called the State of Theology Survey. It's conducted by Lifeway, but it's put out through Ligonier Ministry. And they say it takes the theological temperature of the United States to help Christians better understand today's culture and to equip the church with better insights for discipleship. Well, last year they released this biennial survey. And it proved that a significant number of evangelicals, people with evangelical beliefs, a significant number have a profound misunderstanding about God and about His nature and His character. I want to read some of these snippets to you from that survey. Almost three out of four, 73% agree with the claim that Jesus is the first and greatest created being. More than half, 58%, believe that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. More than half, 56%, agree that worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. More than half, 55%, believe the Holy Spirit is a force, but not a personal being. More than half... 55% agree that everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. More than half, 53%, disagree with the claim that even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. More than one in four, 46%, disagree that every Christian has an obligation to join a local church. Almost one-third... 29% agree with the statement that God learns and adapts to different circumstances, while only 43% disagree. 
almost half, 44%, say that Jesus was a great teacher, but He was not God. If you believe any of those, we have a problem. Evangelicalism has a problem. It's a doctrinal problem. It's a teaching problem. And so the question for us today is how do we avoid these traps? How do we ensure that our doctrine and devotion remain orthodox, traditional, true? Well, I've heard this idea that I'm about to share with you thrown around my whole life in the church. I've heard this exact quote a number of times and and I was able to track it down for the first time. I, I plugged in some thoughts into the Google machine and it came back that this particular statement comes from John MacArthur, a book that he wrote years ago entitled Reckless Faith. It's the place where I got my, my title from today. Let me read this quote to you from MacArthur. He says, Federal agents don't learn to spot counterfeit money by studying the counterfeits. They study genuine bills until they master the look of the real thing. And then when they see the Boca's money, they recognize it. How do we avoid falling into a trap of false teaching and unorthodoxy? We study the genuine thing. We apply it. We grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and that will enable us to detect the counterfeit. As we jump into this section of chapter 2 today, we're going to see an evaluation of false teachers and the effect of false teachers. But first, the apostle begins with a brief history lesson. Verse 1, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Peter had just finished in chapter 1 explaining that Christianity could be trusted. Do you remember last week? He said, I saw it. I heard the voice of God. I saw Christ Jesus Himself. I saw these things. I know them to be true. But what did He do after that? He pointed them back to the Old Testament Scriptures and He said, we know it's true because of prophecy. We know it's true because these things have come to pass. The Old Testament predicted the coming of Christ. They've proven Him to be the Son of God. And so now he reminds his readers that just as there were true prophets in the Old Testament, there were also false prophets in the Old Testament who sought to lead the people astray from the things of God. Anytime you see that phrase, the people, used in the New Testament, it's referring back to Israel, to the Old Testament people of God. And so the point here for us is that Satan has been deceiving believers since the very beginning. Think back all the way to the garden. And what did the serpent say to Eve in the garden? God didn't really mean that. And she led Adam and Eve. He led Adam and Eve away from the commands of God, the law of God, the Word of God. And so now Peter says in verse 1, there will be false teachers among you. Here's our big idea today, the truth that we're seeking to develop. The church is always subject to deception of false teachers. We're always subject to the deception of false teachers. Christians need to be on guard against them and to defend against their errors. 
Let's look at our first point in our outline today, an evaluation of false teachers. A portrait, so to speak, and he shares with us five characteristics of these false teachers as we go through verse 1 and 2. He says, first of all, they act secretly. They act secretly. Verse 1, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. They operate in the shadows. Nobody's going to put a name tag on that says, Hi, I'm so-and-so. I'm a false teacher. You're not going to see them coming. You're not going to know that they are anti-Scripture. You're not going to know that they're seeking to destroy, to, to kill. You're not going to know that they're trying to lead you away from the Word of God. They're secret. They're in the shadows and they parade themselves as Christian pastors, as teachers, as evangelists. Jude 4, certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. It's a parallel to this passage of Scripture that we're looking at today. I want to share this with you from Dr. Tom Constable. He says, To secretly introduce means to bring alongside other teaching. The heretics would seek to add some other teaching to the orthodox faith as a substitute for the truth. The implication is that they would seek to do this in some underhanded way. They would seek to unobtrusively change the doctrinal foundation of the church with destructive heresies, thereby making it unstable. I like this. He says, heresy refers to ideas inconsistent with the revealed truth of God. That's a perfect definition for heresy. Ideas inconsistent with the revealed truth of God. That's why I remind you often that the canon of Scripture is closed. We have everything that we need, saints, for faith and practice, for doctrine and devotion. And anyone who claims a new doctrine, a new teaching, they're a liar and a fraud and a false teacher. Anything that is not in line with what is already written, already revealed, is heretical, plain and simple. And they operate in an underhanded way. They're secret. The second characteristic of false teachers is that they are destructive He says they bring in destructive heresies, verse 1. Now, I want to give a word of caution here. Do not fall into the trap of thinking that everyone who teaches something slightly different is automatically a heretic. Okay? There are even Baptist churches that would teach things slightly different in some ways than what we do here at Pineview. That doesn't make them a heretic. We just understand certain doctrines differently. We're interpreting things slightly differently. And so not everyone who disagrees with you is a heretic and do not start throwing that word around just for the sake of it. Okay? I strongly encourage you that. There are secondary issues that while we believe them to be important, they are not ultimately a test of fellowship. Amen? I had a conversation this morning before service with with Colton. We were talking about baptism and the different modes of baptism. Now, I don't believe in baptizing infants. I don't believe in in sprinkling people. But I am not going to go so far as to call many of my faithful Presbyterian brothers a heretic just because they baptize differently. 
Denominational lines are drawn for a reason. We believe what we believe because of our convictions based on the Word of God, but that doesn't make them a heretic. But if they start to deny the substitutionary atonement, if they start to deny the sovereignty of God, if they start to deny the virgin birth, if they start to deny the the resurrection of our Lord, the second coming of our Lord, then we've got a problem. And we need to address it at that point and we need to break fellowship at that point. And so be mindful of that. There's an article that I keep in a file on my computer and in my desk and I return to it often. It's by Dr. Al Mohler. It's called A Call for Theological Triage. And the idea that he sets forth there is that there are primary first order issues, secondary issues, tertiary issues where we are going to disagree but we can still be in fellowship as brothers and sisters. I want to share this with you. He says, first level theological issues would include those doctrines most essential, most central to the Christian faith. He says, doctrines such as the Trinity, the full deity and humanity of Jesus, justification by faith, the authority of Scripture, those are non-negotiables. Those are things that Christians must believe. But he goes on to say, These first-order doctrines represent the most fundamental truths of the Christian faith. And a denial of these doctrines represents nothing less than a denial of Christianity itself. Believing Christians may disagree on second-order issues, though this disagreement will create significant boundaries between believers. When Christians organize themselves into congregations and denominational forms, these boundaries become evident. Again, I tell you, doctrine divides, and that's a good thing. We need to have our lines drawn. This is what we believe. That's why it grates on my nerves. So many churches are underhanded in their messaging. They won't tell you what denomination they're a part of. They won't show you their statement of faith. Whenever we're out of town for vacation or we're traveling somewhere, I always try to look up a local church. And so I'll go to Facebook or I'll go to their website, and I cannot tell you the number of times I go to check out a church And I can't find their doctrine. I can't find their statement of faith. There's no associations mentioned. There's no denominational ties mentioned. Well, I'm not going. Because I want to know that when I step in somewhere, I want to have an idea of what I'm going to be taught, the word that I'm going to receive that day. And these people, they're sneaky. They're destructive. Do you see the problem here? Indoctrinating people with information that's not simply neutral, but information that's harmful. The heretics here had a Christological problem. They were denying the Master who bought them, Peter says. We know they were denying the second coming of Christ. They're probably also denying His power to save and to transform lives. Do you see the destruction that that would cause? They claim to be followers of Christ, but they're leading people away from the true gospel of Christ. They're secret. They're destructive. We see thirdly that they are popular. He says in verse 2, and many will follow. Go to a Christian bookstore. Look around. Many of them will have a bestseller wall. And you go look at their titles that are Number one on their seller list. You'll find names like Joyce Meyer, Joel Osteen, Bill Johnson, Benny Hinn, 
Kenneth Copeland and many other names like that. Proven, known, heretical teachers. And they're number one on the Christian bestseller list because we have itching ears. And those names tell us what we want to hear. Oh, don't worry about suffering. That's not from God. If you'll just have more faith, you'll be healed. Well, we like that message, don't we? Nobody wants to to be given a diagnosis of cancer. No one wants to lose their spouse. Oh, if you give to my ministry, you'll be blessed and God will give back tenfold, won't He? Well, we like that because we want to be rich, don't we? So if I give to that man of God, God is obligated to give back to me. We have itching ears. And you know, while I'm here, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. Thank God for the month of June and for those churches who plant their rainbow flags on their front lawn because at least they aren't being deceptive. At least they're telling you, they're putting it on display and saying, this is what we believe. They're not hiding it from anyone. The problem is many will follow. Many will go along because these, the messaging of these churches appeals to our, to our nature, to our own desires. Listen to this from David Helm. He says, Here we encounter a vast host who are tragically following a different way. And they're encouraging others to do the same. Regarding his desire for us to take note of the intended contrast, Peter could not have been more obvious. Look at chapter 1 and verse 16. He said, For we did not follow. We didn't follow that. And then here in chapter 2, he says, But many will follow. And then later in in chapter 2, in verse 15, he says, Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, they have followed something else. He's concerned about what we're following. He's concerned about our teaching, our doctrine. In the end, Helm writes, Peter reveals that their faith will fail and they will fall headlong into a dark place of torment forevermore. Fourth characteristic is that they act shamefully. Notice verse 2 again. It says, many will follow their sensuality. They will profess Christ, but they will deny the lordship of Christ in their lives. They're not going to live as obedient servants. They're not going to conform their doctrine and their life to the Word, the written Word of God. Instead, they're going to follow the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. They're going to follow the culture. They're going to follow Satan. Those nominal Christians are included in this condemnation that we see in Scripture here. They're denying the Lordship of Christ. They're claiming to be a believer and they're infecting other people with false teaching. And that discredits the gospel. But we also see in this verse that indecent behavior would accompany their doctrinal error. It's clear that they're permitting and defending immorality. That's what happens when people abandon the truth of the Word of God. They lower their standard of morality because you see sensuality, indecent behavior, that appeals to our flesh. It appeals to our nature. And so this lower standard when preached in the church becomes a popular one. John Lilly wrote that no doctrine, however senseless and monstrous, which under the guise of religion ministers to the sensual appetites of men will ever want for followers. Many churches are planting those flags. And they're saying to the culture, there's no sin. They're preaching a doctrine of universalism. 
that God accepts you just as you are, that we're all God's children. They're leading people to hell. False teachers are secret, they're destructive, they're popular, they act shamefully, but finally, they're greedy. Verse 3, in their greed they will exploit you with false words. The King James and the New King James uses the word covetousness. They're only interested in personal power and gain. They're going at it, after it at the expense of you. Do you really think, saints, that that televangelist on TV cares about your healing? And do you really think that that prayer rag that he's going to send you or that bottle of holy water is going to matter one iota? whatever you're facing and whatever you're going through. Do you really think that the televangelist on TV that's encouraging you to join his monthly club, that he really cares about the orphans, that he really cares about digging wells? Now, I'm not saying there are not good ministries that we can support, parachurch organizations that we can support. But many of these men are just flying around in their personal jets and living in their extravagant homes and they're building their empires and they're building their political futures on the backs of the saints. They're fleecing the sheep. It won't too long ago, a little old lady was telling me that she's a member of one of those monthly clubs and she watches that televangelist every day. And I thought, how sad, because I know this lady can hardly afford her groceries. But she's bought into the lie that if she gives to this man on TV that she'll have everything that she needs and God will bless her tenfold. Shame on those greedy teachers and shame on any pastor who would come into a local church and would use it in a way to profit him personally. They're greedy and they will exploit you, Peter says. That is their goal because for them, religion is something to be commercialized and monetized. That's what the word exploit conveys. That's what it literally means. And so Peter is telling us these false teachers, they're secret, they're destructive, they're popular, they act shamefully, and they are greedy. You want to know how to identify false teachers? Watch the man. Watch his life. Watch his pattern. And God will reveal it to you through his word and by his spirit. Our second point, and this one will move pretty quickly, the effect of false teachers. There are two major results of false teaching that we see in this text. The first is that the way of truth will be blasphemed, verse 2. The Greek word that's used here is blasphemeo. And it literally means to injure the reputation of someone. And that's what false teachers are doing. They are denigrating the name of Jesus by their immoral living and by their false teaching. And do you want to know why the world mocks Christianity the way that it does today? Do you want to know why they think so little of us? Now, yes, we know that they hated Jesus and they will hate us as well. But one of the main things I hear over and over is the claim that all Christians are hypocrites. And the reason they see that is because they see a man like Copeland on TV getting into his jet, living in his big massive mansion, denying the true Word of God and the power of the gospel, and they say that all of them are that way. And when we do that, and let's be honest, even some of us in the church live in hypocritical ways at times. What we are doing, we are that is the epitome of hypocritical behavior. When we say Christ is Lord, but when we deny Him with the life that we live. Shameful. 
And when we do that, the Scriptures say the way of truth will be blasphemed. It will not be seen clearly by those around us. It will lead people to destruction. But the second effect of false teachers is that they bring condemnation upon themselves. They bring condemnation upon themselves. We see this in two places here. Verse 1, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Paul, Peter is saying around the corner for them is death. Around the corner for them is everlasting torment, separation from God. You say, well, Peter said it would be swift. Why don't we see them struck down just like that? Well, our ways are not God's ways. His timeline is not our timeline. And what seems swift to us may not seem swift to God, but the idea here is that when they die, or when Christ returns, it will be swift. It will be shocking. They will receive their reward for their false teaching. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, it speaks of Jesus, verse 8, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse 9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. And in verse 10 it says, when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. We also find this idea in verse 3 of our text. It says, Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, nor is their destruction asleep. They exploited people through their lies. And so their judgment has not been idle, Peter says. What does that mean? Well, God has already condemned them from eternity past. They already stand condemned here and now. And the idea is repeated all throughout the Old Testament. Peter is saying the principle is not worn out. That principle is not negated. It is still in effect. They will still pay for their destruction. It is a potent warning and it will come to pass, Peter says. He says their destruction is not asleep. By nature, God is truth. And God will judge liars and deceivers. He tells us that all throughout His Word. Maybe you're familiar with that section in Proverbs that we know as the seven deadly sins. Six things God hates. Seven are an abomination to Him, Solomon wrote. Well, chapter 6 and verse 19 mentions the false witness, the one who breathes out lies, the one who sows discord among the brethren. That is an abomination to God. It is something that He hates with a passion, with a fiery passion. And Peter is saying these false teachers are guilty of both of these actions and they will be destroyed. False teaching is a problem, saints. It is not going away. And these teachers can have a destructive effect on the church. They push people away from Christ. And so Peter is giving us some strong warnings about these false teachers because he knows that it's going to be a problem. He knows that they're always going to be sneaking and snaking their way into the local church and that we must be on guard for our sake, for the sake of others who would hear the gospel message and respond to the gospel call for the sake of those who do not know Christ. If you would like more information about Pineview Baptist Church, we invite you to follow us on social media. 
Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Pineview Baptist Goldsboro. There, you will find information about our service times, upcoming events, directions to our church, and videos of our Sunday services.